RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. You've heard of Katie Ashby Coppins before from our legal hub. She's part of our legal hub team with Nick Kearney. She's also the head of legal for Voices for Freedom. And she joins me this morning to tell me about something she's been involved with regarding the international health regulations via the OGA, the Office for Global Affairs, which is an American office. And Katie is with me to report back on that. Katie, welcome back. Good morning, Paul. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so you've been sort of kind of busy behind the scenes, um, along with James Roguski, who we've had on this program before, and he's had a lot to say about the international health regulations, the WHO, and of course, the global vaccine passport concept, which is the other thing that's kicking around. You had an opportunity, and this is interesting because I'm picking that not many people have had an opportunity to submit or present to the OGA, which is the Office of Global Affairs. I said it was an American body. What is the OGA exactly? Well, it's it's an interesting um, group. They are um, the diplomatic voice of the US Department of Health and Human Services, which is a equivalent to our Ministry of Health. Um, I don't know that we have in our Ministry of Health a diplomatic voice. Um, mm. It's possible that's that's been passed on to uh, somebody else, but certainly in America they do uh, have this office and they allowed an opportunity for us to present, um, anyone to present um, as a member of, um, of the public uh, in a listening group or a listening session opportunity. Uh, so it was an early morning. Uh, to get up and uh, appear before this um, three members of the office who are um, intricately involved or part of the work of group for the IHR amendments. And that's the um, ones that everybody's been quite interested to hear about when you do mention it, because what effectively those um, amendments do is they're amending the international health regulations, which grant a significant amount of power to the World Health Organization uh, to be able to determine the next pandemic, not even just pandemic, forgive me, any health emergency um, that could be environmental. Um, and they will be able to define it. They will be able to determine the response to it. Um, and that response is not just one that we can choose to follow under the amendments and it is amendments, we already have signed up to the international health regulations, these are amendments too, under the amendments that any decision made by the WHO will be binding on our country um, or countries unless we uh, choose or elect to bow out of those amendments. Um, can, we, can we bow out of the amendments or do we have to bow out of the entire shebang? I understand we could bow out of the amendments, but realistically, we need to bow out of the whole shebang. Um, yeah. The WHO has really shown its colours in the last few years um, with the response that it has to uh, that that it gave to the um, pandemic um, and the position that it took on on many of the different issues, and then the position that they continue to take. Uh, there has been no inquiry, no reflection, no. Um, uh, no analysis on what the last three and a half years has held for us, uh, for the world. And I think everybody would now say that the last three and a half years was not about health. Well, considering that people are suffering and have died, 
look, Paul, I keep continuing to suffer and die, and there's certain obligations that our Ministry of Health uh, has to report to the WHO, and I uh, would hope that they're complying with that reporting obligation with, you know, increased uh, health issues that are arising, um, and certainly our excess um, mortality rate increasing. Um that reporting, I think, if it is happening, is is being ignored by the very organisation who receives that reporting in order to respond to that reporting or do something. Well, they're not reporting it to the people of New Zealand, so you'd think that we'd be the first uh, port of call for reporting, but uh, who knows? Okay, so what did this presentation involve? Curious to know. It could involve essentially any comments that we had in respect to the proposed amendments to the IHR. And so the IHR has had, there's, look, there's been an awful lot of secret meetings and you've got to wonder if this is about health and world health, how, why does it need to be un, done under you know secret meetings, closed doors? Um, but there are a number of documents that have been floating around and these IHRs have surfaced. I understand the amendments were drafted in May of last year. Um, and the amendments, you know, to what's effectively a 30, oh, maybe 20 page documents, um, mm. just helpfully strikes out a few things, um, underlines a few extras in the form of a track, um, track change kind of concept that you might do in a Word document. Um, and it was an opportunity to present uh, on those amendments. Um, or proposed amendments. And some of them are pretty incredible. You know, the deletion of the word non before binding means that what's now proposed is binding. Um, changes in uh, terminology, uh, the deletion of the uh, respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of a person. That's sounding very much like the Constitution of America. No, no, that's been dele deleted now. That, that's a tell. <laughs> and what is what it's been replaced with is based on the principles of equity. That's that lovely fluffy word that what, we're what starting. Does, does, can anyone define that? Look, equity is a really interesting concept because it's not quality. Um, equity is a legal construct, um, but I don't believe that that's the definition that they're applying to. To this, well, you know, funnily enough, the word equity is not defined. Um, yeah. So, based on the way that um, things are being redefined so regularly nowadays, Paul, it could be whatever the hell they want it to be. Well, well it seems that the word equity is basically a, a euphemistic term for discriminating against those we want to discriminate against. <laughs> yeah. Look, look, potentially. I mean, the, the the new fluffy words which have been replaced, and I'll, I'll repeat them again. Yeah. They've deleted. The implementation of these regulations shall be, and this is what's been deleted, with full respect for the dignity, human rights, and fundamental freedoms of persons. So very person-orientated. Now that's been deleted and replaced with the implementation of these regulations shall be based on the principles of equity, inclusivity, coherence, and in accordance with the common but differentiated responsibilities of the state parties taking into account consideration their social and economic development. So we've gone from being person-focused to community-focused. Group, um, group-focused. Group-focused, exactly. So that is 
paragraph one of Article Three, which is the principles. Um, and you know, my heart skips a beat when I hear that. We've already seen, well, one, it defies human nature, um, and how we actually progress and advance as a race or yeah, who species. We are. Who we are, um, yeah, exactly. Um, and now we're we're spreading it out to community. And the real concern is is that the ability to determine, um, not just define a um, health emergency of international importance, but to then determine the response for it. And so my presentation was um, probably not so much for the IHR members um, that we spoke to, uh, because you know they're there doing their job no doubt have their blinkers on. Um, they consider that, you know, as a bureaucrat that they'll be doing um, all of these great things. I can't imagine that they're on a promise, um, but they'll be blinded by by the work that they're doing. So it was really a chance just to paint a picture of what the rules or what I foresee that the rules are going to lead to. My my feeling is, is that um, if it's not the next virus, um, and respiratory virus is one of the ones that was mentioned quite a few times, but I guess that's the most recent example. Well, it's a Trojan um, horse too, potentially, isn't it? Correct. But, I mean, uh, where I, when I was reading through the um, I, amendments to the IHRs, I was seeing that you know environmental issues could also be used. If it has an impact on health, because they're still going to um, use that as the premise for a response, um, then, yes, potentially. You can link anything to health. This is exactly right. Um, hmm. Exactly right. Um, anyway, so, so um, what was the nature of the presentation? Were you on live? How did it work? Uh, there was about 25 of us that appeared. It was the second of the two listening sessions. Um, I felt that um, each person that appeared in, in the group, this group, so there was yeah, as I said, 25, everybody was terribly knowledgeable um, and everybody got it right. So often you can get people coming on um, that, um, you know, go, <laughs> you know, go down a particular tangent. Um, but if most of the people had prepared a pre-determined speech, a few people um, winged it off the cuff. Um, it was a very you know, two minutes isn't long, so you really only had the chance to get your points across. The All three listeners were very respectful, which is a totally different situation, I felt, to what appearing before the select committee, and particularly the House Select Committee in New Zealand has been like. I, it felt much more, a much more pleasant environment. So all 25 of us, plus the other three um, uh, members of the IHR working group, were all on the screen together in a Zoom, um, and uh, it was moderated well uh you know when your two minutes was up your two minutes was up and and you moved on to the next person yeah it was just a, a really nice opportunity i think in all 25 i think we had one person that was pro the health response and most concerned that not everybody had access to um the uh, vaccine yeah and everybody was very respectful um to that person's opinion and position and no one interjected or interrupted um the people that were responding and, and giving submissions were raising their significant concerns at the amendments and how far this is empowering the WHO with uh, decisions of state. It is quite incredible. Um, so 
Um, we've got some clips that we can play from that. What are we going to hear? Just get people ready for them. No trouble. The first clip is in relation to the introduction we received uh, from the uh, IHR. It explains a bit further who uh, we appeared before, uh, what their role was, uh, what they hoped to achieve. They were very keen to assure us all that decisions weren't yet made. Um, but you've got a situation where uh, Colin McGive, who was um, really the leader of the group hearing um, in the hearing from people in this public session. He's um, a member of the OGA, he's part of the working group, and he's um, the vice chair for the working group on the IHR amendments. So um, very senior. Yeah, it will give you the introduction and tell you who the three people were that we were meeting uh, ahead of time. Uh, and then having the privilege to be appearing uh, alongside James Rogowski, who uh, did a fantastic two-minute session um, before mine, uh, I thought it might be useful to uh, replay his um, or, or share with you his his speech, which was straight to the jugular, yeah. um, and and then my speech and what I said uh, for the two minutes uh, opportunity that I had. So, um, and then I thought it might be just useful to um, give people a wrap up of um, the final comments that were passed on by. Um, Colin McGive, um, the vice chair for the working group. All right, so let's uh, hear those clips. Uh, what's first, uh, Katie? I thought it might be useful to hear the um, OGA's introduction. Um, that's the presentation that uh, the all three members gave as to who they were and their involvement and what the purpose of the meeting was or the listening session was that morning. Okay, well, let's listen to that now. Um, and I'm going to start with Colin McGive. All right. Uh, thanks, Jessica. Hi, everyone. I'm Colin McKiff, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, very good to be with you all today. Uh, I am Anna Ayala. I am a senior advisor and team lead for the Global Health Security and Sustainable Financing team within the Office um, of uh, Pandemics and Emerging Threats, and that's within the Office of Global Affairs at HHS. Yes, good morning. I'm Dr. Clive Brown. I'm the chief for the Quarantine and Border Health Services branch within the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine at CDC. Good morning or good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nisu Barabar. I am uh, in the Office of International Health and Biodefense at the Department of State, uh, where I'm one of the leads on uh, the IHR. Thank you. And I'm going to turn it over to Colin McGiff to give a brief update on the current negotiations. Thank you, Jessica. And uh, hello again, everyone. Welcome again to this listening session on potential amendments uh, to the International Health Regulations, um, the IHR 2005. Um, we are uh, genuinely looking forward to hearing your thoughts on these potential amendments um, that are all, all public uh, and, that are, and that are being undertaken and, and addressed through this um, intergovernmental working group on amendments uh, to the International Health Regulations um, uh, website. We have a strong, as you've heard, we have a strong USG interagency team working on the amendments. The panelists joining me today only represent a portion of the agencies and the teams uh, that are participating in the discussions regarding the IHR, both here in Washington uh, and in Geneva at the negotiations. Um, uh, as you may know, but just as a little recap here, uh, the World Health Assembly adopted the IHRs uh, first in 1969 and have amended them multiple times, uh, resulting in the current IHR 2005. Uh, the purpose of the IHR 2005 uh, is to prevent, uh, protect against, control, 
and provide public health response to the international spread of disease and, and broadly speaking, an all hazards approach uh, to health emergencies. Global health crises uh, remind us uh, how critical it is uh, that WHO member states work together to ensure that the regulations are as effective as possible in preventing, preparing for, and responding to public health emergencies. The United States is actively participating in the working group on the amendments to the, to the IHR, the WGIHR, and has submitted a package of targeted amendments that seek to improve communication, including early warnings and alerts, as well as enhance transparency and accountability across the system. The United States, to be clear, uh, will not support any measure at the World Health Organization, including in these negotiations, that in any way undermines or compromises U.S. sovereignty or security or I would say uh, the right of every American uh, to uh, be responsible for their own uh, health care. Uh, the U.S. is also focused on ensuring um, that the IHR and the pandemic accord negotiations, which will be addressed in a, in a subsequent uh, public hearing uh, coming up later this month, uh, making sure that these two negotiations and these two international legal instruments remain complementary and do not overlap in ways that uh, make uh, implementation more difficult for, for member states or confusing for member states. Um, since the last uh, listening session we held on these issues, the USG participated in the third meeting of the WGIHR um, to negotiate potential amendments. And that we've also had a joint session of the INB and IHR uh, to discuss how we can coordinate further across the two negotiations. Topics that are likely to be tackled through joint work uh, include uh, topics around access and benefit sharing, governance, capacity building, financing, and the declaration of pandemics and triggering various responses based on the nature of the outbreak. For example, whether it's a respiratory illness or other other uh, type of uh, type of an outbreak. Uh, during the uh, during the third session uh, uh, of the WGIHR, member states discussed uh, public health response and core capacities, collaboration and assistance and compliance and implementation questions. Member states are uh, so far right now expressing a lot of flexibility and commitment to find common ground and consensus in, in each of these areas. Uh, recognizing that the IHR are technical legally binding regulations that are implemented in all cases through na nationally through laws and policies in each country. Um, and of course, as I mentioned earlier, recognizing the sovereign right of every member state uh, to act in its own uh, best interest. Uh, concerning capacity building and support to developing countries, the United States is a leader in this regard, as you may know, uh, working including through bipartisan uh, work in the global health security agenda, uh, and that uh, that provides a lot of support to countries, including work uh, under agencies like CDC and USA abroad. Our hope is that as we seek to improve general follow-up, oversight, and governance of the IHR by member states, uh, beyond the current self-reporting mechanism, that we do so in a way that is inclusive, transparent, and supportive of countries as they work on strengthening and maintaining IHR core capacities, including opportunities for public and expert engagement with all of these processes is a priority for the United States. We also had general agreement um, at, the, at the last meeting, noting that there may need to be flexibility to discuss a number of, uh, another basket of, of the proposed amendments at the next meeting in July. And these, this, this basket includes uh, responsible authorities, notification, verification, 
uh, and uh, and provisions uh, of information, uh, the, as well as the emergency committee and its functions, determination of a public health emergency of international concern, uh, and temporary standing recommendations. Um, all of this will be looked at uh, during the next uh, meeting of the WGIHR, uh, which, as I mentioned, is, is taking place uh, at the end of July. Um, uh, your input is vital uh, as the United States prepares for this meeting, uh, and we seek to ensure that the IHR are effective in addressing global public health emergencies and responsive to the needs of various communities. So once again, and I hope this uh, a little bit of additional detail has been helpful to you in understanding where we are uh, with the negotiations right now. And thank you for joining us today. And we look forward to your input. Okay, well, that was um, that was all very nice. Uh, one thing I was left thinking is there wasn't a global health emergency before what we've just seen, and that came out of a lab and was made through gain of function. So where are these emergencies coming from? If people didn't fiddle around in labs and create, try and create chimeric viruses that could kill people, we wouldn't be having this problem. So it's a bit rich. Yes, absolutely. Um, terribly rich. Um, and I, 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 I'm mystified regularly that there is not more anger and dismay at the fact that it is now accepted this came from a lab. Yeah. Um, and I'm regularly at saying to people, are you not angry about this? You know, this is man-made. This, you know, it was clearly man-made from the beginning. If you thought it was coming from a pangolin or a um, bat from a wet market in China, then, um, you know, gullible, but also understandable because, you know, the fear, the fear campaign yeah. was so incredibly successful. So I, I totally understand all of that. But now it is accepted three years on, accepted in mainstream media that it was released from a lab, you know, why are people not more angry? Um, and so it's just, it's all of this is playing into the, the who's hands and um, really is the reason for the amendments rather than the who turning around. And I think Helen Clark was a delegate of the, one of the initial investigation groups that went either from the UN or the who to China to investigate. Um, you know, why is that, you know, work not being concentrated on there. Instead, we're busy focusing on um, amend amending rules on paper where a, a detailed and, and fulsome investigation, you know, isn't happening at one of the three major um, or three uh, centres uh, or labs where this gain of function and, and this kind of research happens um, in the world. So, yeah. I feel like the better direction might have been like lessons learned, how this doesn't happen again. Stop mucking around with mixing genes together. Um, stop looking for and stop trying to create the next pandemic. Yeah, for the purposes of harming people. So I'm angry. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I don't know if anyone else is. Um, well, I'm, I'm boiling right. on it. Um, and uh, for that reason alone, we should be leaving the WHO. Good riddance. See you later. Yeah, look, New Zealand is geographically benefited by the fact that it has a massive moat around it. Um, uh, but we haven't had any emergencies. I've been on the planet for 60 years. Nothing's happened. Correct. Until they went into a lab and made something. Then what happens? What are we going to hear next? Uh, next is James um, Roguski's uh, fabulous two-minute um, session. And so there's two different concepts that are going on, and it's something that we need to distinguish between. There's these... I um, amendments to the international health regulations, and that's different from the treaty. Um, 
and I can talk to the treaty um, separately, but this session's just simply focused on the IHR amendments and um, James was really going for the jugular um, on this case um, and, you know, he's so eloquent. He's across all of this stuff. He really is, you know, um, the person that's done the deep dive. Um, I encourage people to go back to and listen to, I think it was end of March you spoke with him, Paul. Yeah, yeah um, end of March I think it was, yeah. He, he's giving you know the nitty gritty on these um, amendments and what they might mean and might look for look to, um, and you know his websites and what he's doing to keep people informed are fantastic, um, and he's really not uh, about trying to change people's views. He's simply about informing people. Um, and goodness gracious, how many times do you mention it? Um, and this is the one that I mention all the time um, to people to get them thinking is is um, I would just say, also, oh, what do you feel about the um, the vaccine passes coming in next year for international travel? Um, and they're like, "Oh, that's done with. We're not we're not doing that." Oh gosh, the poor um, things. And I'm like, "Oh, but they're building the infrastructure. Have you not heard that they're building the infrastructure for this now? And I think they've accepted the European. They have. Yeah. Um, passport, uh, vaccine passport is a passport um, that they're going to use. The platform. The platform. Yeah. And you know the, the all the systems being, oh, that's not happening. And so it's just complete disbelief. So um, it is a case of just dropping the seed um, and letting people know that these things are going on. Because at this point in time, the you know you're, you're trying to inform people against a massive uh, uh, push of propaganda, which is is just so effective and uh, and and has much greater resources behind it and a much bigger marketing department than you and I. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when they find out that um, that they're not in control of their own body anymore, if they want to go anywhere, that'll be a rude awakening. But it'll be too late then, potentially. Okay, so what does James have to say? Can we hear that clip? Absolutely. My name is James Roguski, and I speak for myself. It is shameful that the WHO has refused to learn some very important lessons over the past three and a half years. The disasters of these past three and a half years have not happened because regional directors of the WHO didn't have the authority to declare a public health emergency of regional concern. The horrors of the past three and a half years did not happen because the people of the world did not have a global digital health certification network to track and trace their every move. You certainly must know by now that using RT-PCR as a diagnostic tool is a complete and total fraud. The WHO's own data shows that the inequitable distribution of pandemic response products correlates with massively higher death rates in the United States and Europe when compared to the 47 nations of the African region who were shortchanged on those poisonous products. You cannot possibly still believe that the so-called vaccines saved lives. They did not prevent infection, they did not prevent transmission, but they did cause death and harm to millions of people. They were either too blind to see it or too cowardly to expose it. Why are you seeking to give more money, power, and legally binding control to the WHO? You know damn well that the proposed amendments are not designed to improve anyone's health. You are merely working to transfer wealth. Why are you colluding with the WHO to prolong their lives and implement a plan that is designed to expand the crimes against humanity that have been going on for the past three and a half years. No one has been held accountable 
until everyone has been held accountable. And I have a question specifically for Mr. Colin McIff. We are being asked to comment on a document that was presented in December. We would like to see the revised versions after all of these secret negotiations. Thank you very much for your time. Okay. Well, that was really interesting to listen to. We're going to hear you, Katie. Sure. Why not? My name is Katie Ashby Coppins. I'm Head of Legal for Voices for Freedom New Zealand, a grassroots, not-for-profit community advocacy organisation focused on raising awareness of the human issues associated with the government's response to COVID-19 and other matters impacting on the rights and freedoms of New Zealanders. I am also a United States citizen born in Washington. I value this beautiful world for what it is and that it is ours for what we want to make it. Under the proposed IHR amendments, that would no longer hold true. Under the IHR amendments, every country that does not expressly elect to bow out of the amendments by November of this year will be subject to the WHO's protocols, directives and management of any health issue that the WHO identifies and declares. Under the IHR amendments as drafted, this is what our future looks like. An unelected group of bureaucrats will be able to decree the next pandemic no matter how immunologically illogical it may be. Close down the world under the guise of a health emergency and direct any medical treatment it deems fit on who it determines appropriate, but most likely on everyone to satisfy the equity and inclusivity provisions of the IHR amendments. But I do not need to look into a looking glass to see what is going to happen. The medical treatment will no doubt be mRNA injectables produced in newly built Pfizer and Moderna manufacturing facilities our countries have just committed to in the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada and Africa. In Australia alone, the Australian government has entered into a 10-year partnership with Moderna, where Moderna boasts production of up to 100 million vaccine doses annually. A medical treatment will be required to be able to get groceries, see friends, travel both locally and internationally, especially internationally, so that the work currently going into the international vaccine pass system will be able to be put to use. I also do not need to look into a looking glass because that dystopian world that I just described is the one that we have lived through for the last three and a half years. And we all know that there has been no pause for reflection, no inquiry, and no review of any of the conduct over that period. The world was shut down by what is now accepted was a man-made virus conveniently used to vaccinate over two-thirds of the world's population with a new class of drug that is neither trialled nor tested. That drug has caused the largest iatrogenic catastrophe this world has ever seen. Excess mortality is being reported to the WHO and is being ignored. Just a clue, the cause of that excess mortality is not the virus. That new gene-based therapy has compromised people's immunities, exacerbated viral escape, supercharged new diseases, and genetically modified every person who trusted the science and their government and got vaccinated. If the IHR amendments are not rejected, this catastrophe will happen again and again at the hands of an unelected, morally bankrupt, and commercially corrupt organisation that should stand for world health, but in truth it does not. The WHO has realistically been able to do much of this without the IHR amendments as are currently proposed. Under the proposed IHR amendments, management of health will go to the highest bidders for the next pre-planned crisis. 
those who will sell us their new and untested medical solutions, which the WHO will enforce upon citizens within countries that have forsaken their sovereignty. So-called medical solutions that are developing a history of leaving dead and injured in their wake. Under the proposed IHR amendments, this world will no longer be ours. I call on all democratic countries that value their sovereignty to reject the IHR amendments now. I call on New Zealand, Australia and United States to reject the IHR amendments immediately. Thank you very much for your time. That was great, Katie. Thank you. Did they all have their poker faces on or could you see any reaction to that or or anything that, that, that told you anything? Yeah, it's it's always hard when you're giving a presentation to get what you're getting back. But one of the things in in the last three and a half years since we've gone to operating on Zoom, one of the incredible things is is that you've got essentially twenty centimeters between you and the and the people you're presenting to. So actually, they were very respectful, um, and they were they got a bit of a um, a hard time. Not <laughs> there was only I think one person I just said that was in in support of the amendments, but making sure that everyone um, got these um, promised drugs. But they were respectful and they did listen. Um, I don't think it's going to change their mind or or their trajectory. They're on one iota, um, yeah. but yeah. they were respectful. Much different to the sneering um, faces that I've responded to when I've presented at select committees on amendments to the Coroner's Act and the Therapeutic Products Bill um, here in our Ministry of Health in um, in, in New Zealand. So. Look, uh, I said my piece, um, and you know perhaps that uh, speech wasn't so much for them, but you know for 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 what it might be able to provide to people who hear it. Um, yeah. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to, to to play it this morning. No, that was well well said, and thank you for doing that. Is there anything else that we have to listen to, or can listen to? We don't have to listen to anything, but can listen to. Well, if you'd like to hear the last, um, the sign-off session um, that uh, Colin presented um, to let us know that, don't worry, not everything is already decided. Um, and of course, we'll submit and provide you more information. Um, this is a listening session, so um, we're having open and um, open opportunity for people to say their piece. So I'll share that with you. And I think it's just telling and it's important for people to hear because um, so many of these uh, events happen and you know we've just had it recently I think with the uh, electoral um, uh, amendments or proposed amendments in, in New Zealand and I think only a handful of people went to these physical meetings so unless we participate in in our democracy these things are going to be steamrolled and that's perhaps what's happened is that these things have been able to be steamrolled through because people aren't participating because their lives are too busy they've got mortgages they've got mouths to feed mortgages to pay and mouths to feed you know perhaps it's the busyness which has allowed our bureaucrats and and represent elected representatives to 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 go ahead and just do these things because you know no one's listening no one's paying attention okay so we're going to hear their their rap now correct Thank you very much, uh, Jessica, and thanks to everyone who took the time uh, to come out uh, this afternoon. Uh, again, highly appreciate uh, the passion and the energy uh, that you all are bringing to these discussions. Um, and I want to assure you of our commitment uh, to continued um, 
transparency and inclusivity in the discussions. And I also want to note, um, and um, you know, this is not a not a not a debating uh, forum per se. It's really it's it's truly a, a listening session. But I want to. Um, uh, I want to share that this is not um, some kind of uh, fait accompli uh, here um, uh, in that in that the negotiations are not uh, completed. Uh, none of the um, discussions have been uh, concluded at this stage. Uh, so we'll continue to hold these. We'll continue to improve our methods uh, for also disseminating the updated texts uh, as they are available. I don't I don't know, Jessica, if there is an active um, uh if, if there is an active um uh you know email address that they can use uh to uh, to share uh, feedback on updated information whether that's coming uh, from us directly on say the oga website or hhs website or or wherever else or from who itself um we want to make sure um that uh you know the public has every opportunity uh in all its diversity and all its variety to bring all of your views uh, to the table here, and this is very this is very critical for us, uh, and we do take that duty, um, you know, very seriously. So, um, so I'll stop there. Boy, that puts us almost in the room with you, uh, kind of in a way. Got to yeah. say, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak to you about that this morning, Paul. And uh, I do encourage everyone. James Rogowski's gone and put up, and it's actually just landed while we've been speaking. Um, silence equals consent, and has actually put up the full. Um, uh, session in front of the OGA and its members and he's timestamped everything and um, it will give you a full um, uh, the, the, the full listening session hearing without it being just spliced as we've done this morning. I encourage everyone to check out James Rogowski's uh, Exit the Who. Um, yeah. He is a wealth of knowledge. I'm going to ask if he can come back and catch up with you again, Paul, particularly on these recent sessions. That'd be great. The full yep. sessions he's just on he's just uploaded now um as we've been talking and um you know speak up get together see what people are saying in New Zealand um you know it might be that we need to if there's a group out there already that's actively working in this area please reach out um to me at um uh the email address for reality check radio which you know off by heart yeah um, RealityCheck.radio, inbox at RealityCheck.radio or text 2057, Katie. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And, and I encourage people just to get in touch because um, we need to have these discussions. Have discussions. Don't don't have debate. Uh, sorry, don't lecture people. Just or have arguments. Yeah. Um, it doesn't work. But, you know, people need to be aware that uh, they're losing bodily sovereignty, but we're losing sovereignty as a nation. All right, uh, Katie Ashby Coppins, thanks so much for sharing that with us. Great effort, and um, let's let's stay across this, and we'll get James back and get his view and uh, latest information from him. And I guess we'll do what we can to to bring this to the fore for people. We'll do our best anyway. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, Reality Check Radio. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.